second song, there was another in the fire. It reminded me, uh, just as I was just thinking through that passage in Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were told that they had to worship the king's idol. He set up this huge idol. He said, when you hear the, the, the trumpets and you hear the, the, the harp and the, and the singing and the music played, you, you have to fall down and worship my idol. And they said, we're not going to do that. And they refused. And then there was those who got furious that they refused to do it, that they weren't honoring the king. And so they went and they told Nebuchadnezzar, and they made a big deal, like, they're not, they're not worshiping the way you commanded. And, and they were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they wanted them punished. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them and says, is this true? They're like, oh, king, live forever. You can decree it, but we're not going to do it. We're only going to serve our God. And he says, well, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and kill you. And they're like, well, <laughs> our God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship because we only worship our God. So the, the trumpets play and everything goes on and they don't bow down. And so they're arrested. They're brought in and they heat the furnace multiple degrees higher than it's ever gone. In fact, the men that open the doors, they're killed instantly. They open the doors. They're burnt up. And they say, throw these three men in. And then it says, as they were thrown in, after they were thrown in, it says this and Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had, not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. We think of just the, the, the majesty of our God who is able to rescue in this way. And yet we have an even greater salvation, an even greater rescue in Christ. And we're going to look at that today and in, in, in the things to come. And, and while we look around the world and we may be challenged by the world to be afraid, to be shaken, we're, we should be encouraged and we should take heart because Jesus has overcome. He has victory over all things. And he says, you 
will be rescued from this. And so we have a God who is able to save like no other God, and we have a salvation found in Christ that is unlike any other salvation promised, because there is no other salvation except through Christ. And so we'll be in Matthew chapter 24 today, and we're going to be looking at what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's talking about the end of all things, the end times. Now, this is our prelude to Revelation. If we were in Daniel chapter 9 last week, lots of numbers and math and all that kind of stuff. Let me just put your hearts at rest. That's not the book of Revelation. Like, we're not going to be going through all these numbers and all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of imagery and a lot of stuff that we're going to sift through. But if you're like, if every prophetic book is like this, I might take a break. <laughs> I would feel the same way. But God is good. And so what we're doing in Daniel 9, we're getting some, some ideas and some things to get our mind wrapped around, some terminology put in our head. Matthew 24, we'll do it this week, we'll do it next week as well. It's getting some concepts just down. So when we get into Revelation, we start talking about these things that God declared to Daniel through the prophet, that Jesus spoke in his ministry, and that John was given to him about the end of all things. We will see how they all line up, how they all come together, and we can have greater understanding. So the point today is to help us just, again, put some more things in our head as to what the Bible says to us as we think through uh, the end of all things and what our role in response is as followers of Christ and as the church. So let me pray, and we will go to Matthew 24. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll only get through verse 14 today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are so good that while we were sinners, that we were in rebellion against you and far from you, you loved us. You sent your son to die for us. And just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a great salvation, there was one in the fire, you give us an even greater salvation, eternal life, a hope that is eternal, a heaven that is waiting, a relationship with you restored. And so as we look at the end of what this world will be, Lord, we, we pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, that we would not fear, that we would not be shaken, that we would be fortified, strengthened, and that we would see our calling as Christ gives it to us in this passage. So Father, teach us as we go through this this morning. Help us to understand. Give us insight. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and in our minds. Teach us as you do so well, great counselor, great helper. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Matthew 24, <clears throat> starting in verse 1, and I'll read to the end of this section, and then we'll go through bit by bit here. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
And Jesus answered them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. In the first couple of verses here, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. Verse 1 and 2, he, he's leaving the temple. This is after uh, the triumphal entry, and, and he's there, and he's teaching and then he's outside, he leaves, and he's outside the city. And in verse uh, uh, 37 of chapter 23, just says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are, set to it, who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's talking about that return. And so he's got this heavy pronouncement, and the disciples are like, look at these buildings, Jesus. Like, hey, don't be so down. Like, look at the majesty of this. Like, this is the second building of the temple, and it's glorious, and there's gold all over it, and there's marvel, and, and when the sun hits it just right, and the, the gold shines, and you can... Barely even look at the temple, it's so magnificent. And if you're off at the Mount of Olives and you see it at the right angle with all the marble, it looks like snow has freshly fallen on it. Like, they're like, Jesus, look at these buildings. Look how beautiful this is. Like, those pronouncements are so heavy. And they want to lift Jesus' spirits. They're like, let's talk about some good things. Like, the kingdom is here. You're here. Like, they're trying to usher in something that's not yet time for. And Jesus just turns to them, and he says, you see all of these? And it's the way he says it. Do you see all of these? You see this stuff? See these things? It's kind of the way I talk as a parent when my kids have made a mess of the room, and I walk, and I'm like, come here, come here, come here, come here. And I was like, do you see all of this? You see all of these? You know? And then that's kind of what he does. He's like, you see all of these? It's all going to be torn down. There won't be one stone left upon another. It's going to be utterly destroyed. And so Jesus is, is, is saying, you guys, you don't understand. And he's actually pointing to a fulfillment that is to come, that is going to happen. So we see that 
that Jesus is talking about what is to come here, and, and the men are trying to understand it. For a little bit more background, thinking about the second coming and the conditions of the second coming, uh, let's look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 3-7. through 7. Peter, this is after the fact, Jesus is risen in that, and, and so Peter starts to have context. He writes this to the church, trying to encourage us so we understand a little bit more. He says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the disciples are kind of looking at this with the wrong perspective. But after the resurrection, they're like, oh, there's going to be coming a judgment, a return of Jesus that we should be looking forward to. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to do. Like, guys, you need to be looking forward, not at this temple. You're looking as the rest of the world. Look, this temple's beautiful. Everything's going just as it's always gone. Everybody, you're getting married, and they're having kids, and they're doing the same thing. And it's like, Jesus, like, let's make it a happy time. And he said, guys, this is not a happy time. Judgment is coming. I'm making things right. And so after the resurrection, Peter's like, oh, we were looking through different eyes, but you need to look at the lens the way we look at it now, that there is a day coming. He is returning. Things will be set right. So that's kind of the background here. We're trying to understand what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 so we understand that we are to be ready, be thinking as Peter talks about here. So the disciples in verses 1 and 2, they want to lift his spirits, and he just gives another pronouncement. And so Jesus says, you see all of this. It's going to be torn down. And again, it is. It is torn down in 70 AD. The Romans come in, and they, and they, and they put down a rebellion of the Jews, and they destroy the temple. So there's a, a literal fulfillment. Remember in last week, Daniel 9, verse 26, it said this. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now, the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Romans. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist. He has not come yet. This is the spirit of Antichrist that's in Rome, that's in the people. They come, and they destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jesus is pointing to it. He says, this is all going to be torn down. There's a literal fulfillment. And so when we think about these prophetic words and these things that Jesus says here, what Daniel said is literally, literally fulfilled, what the prophets of the Old Testament spoke about, the Christ had to be literally fulfilled. When we look at other uh, prophecies of the Old Testament, they have an actual fulfillment in history. It's a historical fulfillment. And I'm going to tell you that's the greatest reason for me to keep looking at Revelation for a literal fulfillment. That it's not just metaphorical, it's not just symbolic, they're not just pictures and that seems nice. It's, there will be a literal fulfillment. Jesus points to that and we see that there was a literal fulfillment. So in Daniel 9, 26, Jesus is pointing to this historic event that's going to happen. And so he sets the tone. He sets the tone for what will be. 
Well, we get to verse 3. You know, of course, if, if you say something like, this is all going to be torn down, you're going to make your disciples wonder, like, okay, what in the world is going on? Like, did I miss something? Like, you know, we've been walking with this guy for three years. What are we missing? Like, what's going on? So in other times, they come and ask him questions, and this is no different. They come, and they ask him in verse 3. They say this, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, I think in their minds, they just asked one question. They're like, tell us when this will be. The, the temple will be destroyed and the coming of the age will begin. Like, tell us when that's going to happen. They actually ask two questions. They say, when is this going to happen, the thing you just pronounced? And then when is the coming? When is the sign of the coming? So I think the disciples are looking at this and they're kind of like, they have a compound question, but it's two questions. And Jesus is going to answer those questions. So they're looking at this destruction in tandem. They think, oh, these will all happen together, but Jesus is going to show them a little bit more, I think, than what they're, what they're expecting. Verses 4 through 8, this is what we read. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birthing pains. So Jesus then answers them by pointing out that the last days, what the last days will be like. So verses 4 and 5, he just says, See that no one comes and leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. The first thing he says about this, these end days is that people are going to come and try to lead you away. They're going to try to deceive you. They're going to claim Christ in some way. They're going to say, here's Jesus, or this is what Jesus is like, or this is what his teaching meant, or this is how you're supposed to worship him. They're going to come and try to lead you astray. He says, but don't be led astray. Many are claiming that they have the true teaching. And if we just take a moment and think of our situation today, the, the culture we're in here in the West we see a lot of stuff that claims Jesus. We see lots of groups that claim Jesus for their own. There's New Age teaching that's mixed in with Christianity. They just kind of take some of these different thoughts and they bring it into to, uh, these ideas that are in the scriptures. And, and you have new thought, you have mysticism, you have a oneness they use a lot of the same terminology of the scriptures, but they have different meanings, and they're like, oh, this is what Jesus is. This is what he's like, and it's new age teaching. It's not Christianity at all. There's social justice over gospel or social justice as the gospel. That's another movement. They claim Jesus, and they say the reason Jesus came was to make everything a level playing field, to make it all the same, to bring equity to the races. Or there's that racial equality over or as the gospel, and that, that goes right in with social justice. So social justice started decades ago, 
when I was in seminary, they used to say, you don't be teaching a social justice gospel, a works gospel of, of, of different ways of which you reach a community through works and, and good deeds and not focusing on Jesus, but saying these things lead to the fulfillment. Well, that has morphed into this equity or this equality gospel of racial equality as the gospel. And, and now it's more targeted. You have, <laughs> I hear my, my older son say it all the time, I'm so tired of social justice warriors. <laughs> but that's what happens in the church. They come in and they're just, they're like, that's the gospel, that's who Jesus is, that's what he's about. And if you're not about that, then you have the wrong Jesus. We're the, we're the ones who have the right Jesus. Jesus works in this way. They hijack him. They would lead astray. Uh, this ethic that we see in our culture of sexuality or, or the sexual theology over or sexual theology as the gospel I don't think I need to say a whole lot there. We just see that it's, it's pervasive. There's just a twisting of what does the Bible say and what does it mean? And people say, well, it means this or it says this. And, and they tie it into this idea of sexuality and they hijack Jesus. They hijack the gospel. They would lead astray. Or progressive against orthodox teaching, progressive Christianity against orthodox teaching. And this one has some of the New Age mixed in with it too, but there's a, a, a oneness or a penentheism that exists there. There's a non-exclusivity. Jesus isn't the only way. He is a way. There is an uh, um, all-inclusive uh, idea of everything is okay. You can have agnostics and atheists in the progressive Christian church. That's okay. All are okay. There is an environmental gospel that comes into the progressive church. Uh, what you do is more important than what you believe in the progressive Christian church. Um, there's no absolutes. So this questioning over truth becomes valuable. The, the, the most spiritual person in the progressive truth in the progressive church is the one who questions truth. Is that really true? I don't know. I, I'm just deconstructing my faith. I just think, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if I can believe that. That's the most spiritual person in the progressive church. We can know. There's, there's truth that we can know. And, and this love, and they, they change that idea of what love is, this affirmation of all forms of love, all kinds of love. Sometimes you hear love is love, and they would just say, yeah, this progressive hijacking of, of Christianity and of Jesus. They claim Jesus as their own. And then we have other things out there like cults, and you have different groups that have, have claimed Jesus so that we know that's not the Bible. And then you have other groups that, that sound good, and, they have, and there are other faiths and other religions like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. These are just a few. Like, hey, this is the world we live in right now. These are just a few that try to lead people astray. To say, hey, come over here. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't let anyone lead you astray. For many will come in my name. Many will say, we have the right Jesus. We have the right Jesus. And they will try to lead you astray. So these are just some of the things happening in our culture today. But Jesus is telling them, be watchful, be discerning. Don't just follow or you'll be led astray. So he has us to be mindful of what we're hearing, engaging the beautiful brain he gave us, going to the scriptures, studying the scriptures, saying, is this what God says to us? Is this who Jesus really is? Is this really what the revelation that God says for salvation is? And if it is, then, 
then we submit to it. Do we really believe this to be authoritative word of God? Like coming to it, he's, he's telling his disciples, watch your teaching, watch what you're hearing, watch what you've seen. And to us who now have the Bible uh, through, the, through the Holy Spirit and what he's given to us through the early church, we have this way of testing every spirit and knowing if it's true or not. So he says, don't be led astray. Test those spirits. Know what's happening. Verses 6 through 8, he says, in the end days, you're going to see this. There will be, you will hear of, uh, of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birthing pains. So he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. I just sat and thought off the top of my head what different conflicts I could remember from the 90s. So like I, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s predominantly, but by the 90s, you know, I was getting ready to go off to college. And so like that's when you start kind of paying attention to the world around you when you're that at that teenage age where you're about to transition to adulthood and you start watching the news with your dad and you care, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I was like, what kind of conflicts have there been over the years? And just, these are just some of the ones I wrote down. Uh, Kuwait and Desert Storm, the Gulf War with Iraq, the genocide in Rwanda, fighting in Yemen and Lebanon, the fighting in Afghanistan, Kosovo, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Slovenia, and those fights, Gaza, strip fighting, and even today, the Ukraine. And these are, that's just a few. I actually did a Google search, and there's tons of conflicts all over this world. And some I had never even heard of. I was like, I had no idea this was happening. And as I scrolled down the years, it seems like there was more and more increasing and increasing and increasing. And Jesus says, you're going to hear of these things. But that's not the sign. That's not the sign. It's just a birthing pain. Like, this is happening, and it's increasing. He also talked about that we will see things uh, like earthquakes. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, the, I, I've heard of, uh, when I was getting ready to go on the mission field, there's a huge earthquake in Turkey, we, the, the earthquake in Haiti. We had in Indonesia the earthquake with the tsunami that came with it because of, of, of where it was. Uh, Pakistan and China had two of the most devastating earthquakes since the since the 90s and into the 2000s, like, there's, there's been earthquakes, and there's been many more. In fact, there's been over 1,500 earthquakes. And it's like, do we know about them all? No, some of them are insignificant, but some of them are catastrophic. He says, you're going to hear of those things. You're going to hear of famines, and just famines that started in the late 2000s and are still going today. I, I wrote four of them down. There's one in Yemen one in South Sudan, one in Ethiopia, and one in Madagascar. There's still actively famine there in those countries. Jesus says, this is what's happening in the world around you right now. This is the state of the world. So we look at it, and we can be like, oh gosh, like what do we do? Or we can take a moment, pause, get our eyes focused, and say, okay, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me react to this? So he says, while these are not signs to look for, they are a sign in a sense. He says, this is a birth pain. Okay, so if you've had children, so you know what that's like when your wife gets to that point 
where she's getting closer to having the baby. And at first, you know, the little flutters, and everybody, it's all cute. Like, everybody likes that. It's like, oh, I felt a little kick. Yes, oh, put your hand here. You know, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. And then a little later, it's like, whoa, felt a kick. Oh. And a little bit later, she's like, oh, this child's getting big, like heavy. And then all of a sudden, the birthing pains start. And it's just like, I am not comfortable. And those Braxton Hicks come on. And I'm just like, whoo, took my breath. And then they're gone. And then you, it leads up right to the moment where she's like, get me in the car and get me there now. You know? And, and you're just like, yes. Like, I can tell. Like, okay, we're having the baby. Like, it's coming. That's what the world's doing. It's leading up. It's leading up. And we shouldn't be surprised that it increases. We shouldn't be surprised that there's more and more happening. Some of it's technology. Some of it we're just aware of it now that we're before we weren't. But some of it is, as we look at it, it is ramping up. These are birthing pains. Jesus says it's not the sign, but it is a sign. And you see this. So he's telling the disciples, all of this is going to happen. It's all going to happen. So verses 9 through 12, he goes on. So all of this starts happening. He says, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus then tells them what they can expect. Okay, here's the, here's the lay of the land. Here's what's happening. But now what about you? Let me tell you what you can expect. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. You're, you're not going to be liked. Your message is not going to be popular. If, if you're preaching the Jesus of the Bible, he is not a popular dude. Everybody likes to claim him, and they like the idea of love, but when you get down to it, the, the gospel message, the, the message of you are a sinner who needs to repent and be saved, and only salvation is found through the work of Jesus on the cross, that's not popular. That's not what people want to hear. They don't like that, that there is a standard, there is an ethic, there is a morality, there is what is called holiness, and God calls us to it. They're like, I just... I want to just do what I do and feel good about it. Like, just give me that gospel. Give me the Jesus that just loves me just because. Like, give me the, the, the way of, of ease. Don't give me that Jesus. I want that Jesus over there. So Jesus says, listen, guys, you're going to start preaching about the kingdom. And if you preach this as the authoritative word of God, people will rebel and reject it. And they're going to reject those who, who proclaim it. So he, he says that doesn't just cover one culture. This isn't just there in their homeland. It's like, this isn't just like going to be unpopular with the Jews around you. He says, it's going to be every nation. It's going to be every nation. Jesus spoke at one point, the broad way to destruction is easy to find and many go down it. Because it's, it's going with the grain. It's going with the culture. It's going with the prince of the power of the air. It, it's easy. It, it makes you feel good all the way to your destruction. 
He says, but the narrow way is hard and very few find it. So in every nation, there will be people who receive it. There will be people who, who hear this and say, yes, I want to have a relationship with God. I, I know I'm a sinner. I, didn't want, I repent of those things. And God save me. And God will save them from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. His gospel message will go out. But he's saying the great, the great uh, situation here, the, the thing that we see is that the nations will reject it. And they'll reject you. He says in verse 10, because of this, many fall away. So he's, he's preparing the disciples. He's like, you're going to disciple people. You're going to talk to them about Jesus. And they're going to come and say, yeah, this sounds awesome. You mean I can have a relationship with God? Man, I want that. That sounds really good. And then they're going to start going out into the world and, and living in this world. And they're going to see that people hate Jesus. And people don't like that gospel. And they, they don't like the things that you're telling them. And they're going to go and talk to their coworkers. And the coworkers are like, what? That guy said what? Oh, he's a fanatic. Like, don't listen to that. I can't believe you would even believe that. What are you, an idiot? Like, don't do it. And they're like, oh, I don't, wanna, I don't like this persecution. I don't like people coming against me. And people are going to fall away. He's telling the disciples, you are going to disciple people. You're going to share Christ with them. They're going to think about this, and they're going to say, yeah, I want that. But then when the persecution comes, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm out. And they're going to fall away. Paul talks about that in his letters. He's like, there's people that were with us, but then they did great harm to us. There's people who were walking with us, and now they've gone away from us. We see that those who fall away then also become the same ones who persecute the church. How... (laughs) Preparing your heart for, a, for an arrow. Oh my gosh. The one that you were sharing life with, that you're doing life with, the guy or gal that became your best friend for a season, and you're just doing Bible studies. You're like, yeah, I think I really want this. Then turns around and says, I don't want this anymore. And in fact, I don't like you anymore. And I'm going to throw you under the bus every chance I get because of what you said. I don't, I don't like this. The ones who fall away then also become part of the persecution. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Verses 34 through 36. Do not think, this is Jesus speaking, that I come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That's hard teaching. He's saying this is what the gospel will do. Those who come and receive it will be put at odds with those who don't want it. And it's not, he's not saying you don't love those people anymore. He's saying you're going to be at such odds about eternal things that Jesus says, it's as if I brought a sword and just divided it. Be ready. So he's, he's warning them. He's like, be ready for this. There's going to be a great falling away from the faith. And those who fell away who are your friends, they're going to be the ones who persecute you and talk bad about you and, and, and deliver you over and have you killed in these end days. So we also see in verses 11 and 12, some will become false teachers. Others will be absorbed into the shifting culture. There will be a rise in lawlessness or a rejection of God. And there will be a coldness or a, a lack of love for others. Have you felt that in our culture recently? Just a coldness? I mean, it used to be that our neighbors got along, even if you didn't, even if you didn't like each other's politics, you at least waved at each other. You could mow your lawn in peace and, you know, help out on, and, and do things. Like, 
there was a, there was a civility. And it seems like that's waning more and more. There's a polarization that's happening. There's a pulling apart in our culture. But even in the church, people are pulling away from Christ and they're pulling away. And he says there's a coldness happening. There's a, a love uh, or a lack of love. This is all to be expected. Like This is what the end days look like. And the end days started with the cross and his resurrection. And we're in them right now. And he says during this time, it's going to keep coming more and more, and there will be these birthing pains. So some, imagine this, some that you walked with in Christ, that you discipled, fall away, and not just fall away, become the false teachers of those other groups. That's not what Jesus meant. This is what Jesus meant. I went to seminary with that guy. He's got it wrong. This is right. Come follow this Jesus. He says some will rise as false prophets and come away. Where do they get their teaching? Well, they've pulled it in from other places. It's not easy. It's not easy as you think about it. You're like, man, this is the state of the world. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> right? So this is very much what, what we see today. 1 John 2, 18 through 20, it says this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now, this verse in the church, okay, I want to put this in the right context, because this verse in the church, I have seen churches use this really poorly when they have this division within. And it's not over things that we should be dividing about. If you go back to the one where it says they went out from us. This one slide back, Eric, if you would. He says, they went out from us and they were not of us because they were not of us. And I have heard people use that to attack brothers and sisters who just say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that theological stance or whatever. And, and there's hurt in the church, and people kind of get at each other, and they get their eyes off of Jesus, and they start looking at each other, and they point fingers over doctrines that are lesser issue doctrines, and then you see churches split, and then inevitably, some guy stands up here like I am in a pulpit and says, well, they went out from us because they're not of us. This is talking about those who are Jesus's and those who are not. Now, churches split and there's hurt and we need reconciliation. We need to model love for one another. That's how the world knows that we're Jesus's. But we need to be really careful when we say statements like that. Because Jesus, or John, in this statement is saying, those that left the church left because they're not of God. Because they don't believe. They don't have faith. It's what Jesus is talking about here. There's a, there's a parting. There's a moving away in the last days. And John's saying, it's the last days. There's antichrist. There's false teaching. There's things coming at, down the pike. And those people will come in and they'll sit with you for a season. But then they're going to go out. And you'll know that those who go out are not of you because they don't have the gospel. They're not preaching Jesus. That's the point. Now, if we had arguments and we split and we didn't get along, that's not the verse to use. The verse to use is that we should love one another and consider others above ourselves and that we should be reconciled one to one another. 
Those are the verses we should be using. Verse 13 and 14, we have this, this encouragement. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So be encouraged. It's going to be, this gospel is going to be preached. It's going to be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all the nations. Now, here's what I, I love about this. It's just like when Jesus got in the boat and he says, let's go to the other side, and he took a nap. And then they're like over there, and they're like, oh, we're all going to die and everything. They wake him up, and he calms the storm, and he's like, I told you we're going across the thing. Like, why are you worried? Okay, that's how it feels right now. It's Jesus saying, this gospel will be proclaimed in the whole world. And it seems like God has finished his work, and Jesus is sitting down, and he's not there. And we're here, and we're struggling through it. And we're like, oh, are we going to make it? And yes, I told you, it's going to happen. Because he's with us. His spirit is in us. He's given us all we need to accomplish the mission. And he is on mission with us. And so we see this. He's saying, be encouraged. All of this stuff's going to happen, but the gospel's going to go. It's going to go all over this world. And he's using you. He's using me to do that. And it's, it's a set deal that it will be proclaimed. It will happen. The Great Commission will not be thwarted. God's will will not be stopped. So our hearts should not be troubled. John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, so I'm telling you this, so you have peace in the midst of it. In me, you have peace is what Jesus is saying. So if we are in Jesus, we keep our eyes focused on him, the world's going to go to crap and there's all this stuff swirling around us. But if we keep our eyes on him, we can have a peace in the circumstance. We can walk with him. We don't have to be troubled in the midst of tribulation. He says, I told this to you so you will overcome the world as he has overcome the world. He says, you can walk through it and have a peace that surpasses understanding. So we should be encouraged because Jesus has the victory. He had the victory when he rose from the dead. All things, all things are under his authority. And so we, as his disciples, we walk in the victory of Jesus. And then back to our passage, he says, all of this stuff's going to happen, and the gospel will go out, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So... All of this builds up to the second coming of Christ. He says all of this builds up to his return. It all builds up to when we see the clouds part and Christ descend. He says it's going as the Father has told you. All of this is happening as it was proclaimed. So we are in this building up period, and our mission, according to this passage, is very clear. Our mission as a church, I think, is very clear. We go into the world starting right where we are. We go into the world right where we are, and we tell people about Jesus. We share the gospel with them. We talk about how he's changed our life, how he saved us, why we believe it, the faith that we have in him. We share Jesus. We show people how disciples live and how they love one another and how they love others. 
We do the work of the ministry that Christ has called you to. He's called you to a ministry. He's equipped you. He's given you his Holy Spirit, and he has good works for you, just you, to accomplish. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. So go do that ministry that he has for you. And all the while, we give thanks to God in our heart, and we worship him for his love that has been poured out on all of those who have received him. It makes me think of Martin Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The call this morning, the whole point of this, is for you to commit or to recommit today to follow Christ and to share Christ, no matter what may come. Jesus has overcome it. We have victory. We go and share this gospel. If you're wondering why I wore this coat, it's not because I'm cold. <laughs> and it's not because it looks cool. Somebody told me I should, look, I should get on a Harley later. I was like, that would be good. I haven't learned to get, ride a motorcycle yet, but that'd be good. <laughs> Jimmy, maybe you can teach me. Or... or uh, you could teach me, Denny, <laughs> about motorbikes. But uh, no, I wore this because I look like I'm ready to go, don't I? Looks like I'm ready to leave and go out the door and go do something. It was already spoken before the service. That's the point. Spiritually, this is how we should be dressed. And the armor got like, ready to go. As Aaron Boyd said, let's go. Like, we need to be ready to go and share Jesus. We need to be dressed that way, spiritually, ready whatever comes. Will you stand with me and pray? Worship team, you can come up. Father, we thank you for this this morning, and, and you encourage us. You encourage us that we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to worry, and so we want to commit ourselves today. So Father, we pray that you would just uh, give us the boldness and strength to, to go and to share and to walk with you. To, to love you. And, and so, Lord, we're just committing ourselves. We want to come as your people saying, we are following you, and we are going to be on mission with you. So would you just strengthen us as we commit ourselves to do that? In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're taking the Lord's Supper this morning in, in uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are coming together now, proclaiming that this is the gospel that saves and that our Jesus will one day return. And so as we come, and it's an act of worship, it's the remembering of all that Christ did and all that he's still doing in lives as people come to him. So if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and publicly professed him as your Savior, you are welcome to come and take of uh, the Lord's table with us here today. Uh